0: Hello. Uh, this is the part where I normally say, "Welcome back to the Fort Saint David's podcast." Um, it seems strange because, uh, you know, when when people say that they introduce the show uh, on a podcast, it's a throwback to the older era of radio where you were just sort of, you know, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Fort Saint David's podcast, but you're not just tuning in; you pressed a button. On your little portable media playing device that said, Fort St. David's Podcast, Episode 7. So I don't need to tell you that, but I guess I should still welcome you as you are my favorite person there is, the listener. Um, Today I'm going to read two chapters, both of them pretty short, from The Pilot and the Panda. Chapter 5 which is pages 63 to... let me just check... 69. And then uh, chapter 6, which is page 71 and 72. It's a really short one. So I'm just gonna jump right into it with chapter 5. The next day I awoke around noon with a throbbing headache and a monotonous sound of rain rubbing at my window. I drew the curtain and saw that it was pouring out, the heavy rain falling down over the buildings and creating a big stream down below in the alley. My room was stuffy as hell, so I cracked the window just a little to let in some air. It was a humid summer rain, and it made me feel sticky and claustrophobic in my little room. After smoking a few cigarettes and listening to some of the Metropolitan Opera broadcasts on the radio, the Barber of Seville, I headed downstairs to see if I could scrounge up something to eat. Tina was the only person in the house with any impressive amount of money. Apparently her parents sent her some every week. And she always kept some food in the refrigerator. The food would be tagged with little yellow post-its like eat this and you will die, or property of Tina, eat at your own risk, or even better, Dave, I know it's you, do not eat my fucking food ever again. Now, I wasn't the only one who ate the food. Jake usually helped me out, and Jonah, and occasionally Larry, though he always felt guilty afterwards. God knows why, but he did. Even Peter, Tina's boyfriend, secretly crept downstairs in the middle of the night for, an oca- for the occasional post-coitist midnight snack, knowing that it would get blamed on myself or someone else. As time went on, I began to become afraid that Tina would actually poison the food one day, just out of spite, so I tried to eat it only when I was really desperate. It was really good food, though. Tina was a vegetarian and a total health freak, so whatever I was eating, I always knew that it would be vitamin-packed and really good for me. I was obsessed with vitamins. I didn't get too many in those days. My stomach was feeling something awful and I needed to put something in it, so I decided to give some of Tina's food a try once again. There was no one in the house, so I didn't have to worry about getting caught. I opened the fridge and found a red and white pint container of Chinese vegetarian food that had a note on it. Hands off. Unfit for human consumption. Capitalized, poison. I figured if she was actually going to poison the food, she would announce it before she did it. So I took the, a container out of the fridge, grabbed myself a clean fork from the drawer, and started eating it right there, right eating it cold, right out of the container. I shoveled the food in my mouth as fast as I could, barely even chewing, in total fear that Tina would come barging through the front door right next to the kitchen. And when I felt I couldn't pack away anymore, I quickly returned the package to the fridge and washed off the fork. Then I got the phone from the living room and started making phone calls. I couldn't fathom staying in this humid house all day with the rain coming down outside like that. I needed someone to talk to, somewhere to go. After reaching a few answering machine messages, I found myself dialing Judy's number. It was a long shot because she was rarely home. Her mother picked up. Her mother still didn't recognize my voice. How many other guys who called had a similar voice? How many other guys called? I asked if Judy was home and she said hold on a moment, let me go check, and after a few minutes she came back and said Judy was in the shower, and should I have her call you back? Yes, please, that would be great. Who is this again? It's Dave. Does she have her nu- does she have your number? I bit my tongue as did to not say anything smart and said, Yes, I believe she does have my number. Well let me just take it down just in case, she said. How many times has Judy's mother written down written that number down just in case? Where did all these just-in-case numbers end up? In a special waste basket, just in case. I gave her the number, just in case, and she informed me that Judy would get back to me as soon as she could, and that was that. I sat down at the kitchen table that was strewn with magazines, roommate notes, past due bills, odd photographs, hamburger wrappers. I flipped through some old, th- I flipped through an old issue of Transworld Skateboarding and waited and waited and waited. After an interminable time, I got up and checked if the ringer was on. It was. Waiting and waiting, and outside the rain coming down like it was the end of the world. This must be what purgatory is like. Just waiting and watching the rain come down through the foggy window. A belly full of cold Chinese food and a head full of anui. Waiting for a phone that just ain't gonna ring. Just as I was about to start pulling, off, pulling my hair out in clumps, the phone rings. I pick it up immediately. Judy, I say. ''What?'' replies an older man's voice. ''Oh, I'm sorry. Who's this?'' ''May I please speak to Jake?'' ''I'm sorry, he's out. Can I take a message?'' ''Yes. This is his father. Can you please tell him that I called?'' ''I certainly will. Thank you.'' And that was that. I hung up the phone and sat there. ''What would I do today?'' ''I am alive. Okay. I'm alive. I'm free. That's right. I'm a free man. So what will I do?'' ''It was too rainy to walk anywhere and too stuffy to stay inside and read books.'' What did normal people do with their free time on days like this? Normal people have air conditioning. Normal people watch television. Normal people have girlfriends who call them back. Normal people have girlfriends who don't get all uneasy and when you accidentally refer to them as your girlfriend because that's a heavy term and it holds all sorts of bad connotations excess baggage and restrictions. Normal people don't think girlfriend is a heavy term at all. I continued sitting at the kitchen table waiting. I flipped through most of the new issues of the City Paper in the Philadelphia Weekly, An Enquirer from two weeks ago, and looked at some ads and pictures in another old issue of Trans World that I found buried under some papers. Then I started pacing around the room for a while. I was in a prison. This is what people in prison did. All day. Every day. What was the difference between this and prison? Finally I broke down, could not wait any longer, and I called Judy's house again. She picked up immediately. Dave?" she said. What have you been doing? Why can't you ever call me back? There it went immediately. That stupid temper. Careful, David. I just got out of the shower. You what? I said I just got out of the shower. What's your problem? That was the push, and the boulder just kept falling and falling, and as it made its way down the mountain, it got bigger. That big, awful, rolling boulder. And you better stop really fucking soon, because look, there it goes. Rolling down the side of the mountain, picking up soil and more rocks and more dirt, and a few stray animals here and there, and even an itinerant family out for a hike, and here it comes, bigger and bigger, gaining speed, down and down and down, faster and faster and faster. By the time it was halfway down the mountain, there was just no way of stopping it, no chance in hell. It was too big and it was too fast. It was out of control. Out of the fog of reaction and words, she said to me, I don't want to do this anymore. We can't go on like this. And that's when I stopped standing there, stupid, and staring at the boulder. That's when I realized the boulder was headed straight for me. What do you mean by that, Jay? Don't call me Jay. I mean, I can't be with you anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just it's just not working out, and you know it. Oh, Christ. Well, sure, fine. Fine. But did... I mean, you don't have to tell me these sorts of things over the fucking phone. And why not? So you can stand there and yell at me and start bullying me around like you always do? Bullying you around? What are you talking about? You know what I mean. You're pushy. You have a short temper. You're good with words, and you like to use them to hurt people's feelings to make yourself look good. I sat there in the kitchen with the phone to my ear and my head in my hand. Outside, the rain was really coming down now, and it seemed like it was getting louder. A dull blue and gray light was filtering in through the windows that swathed the room in a bluish sepulchre. Everything seemed very dim. "'Judy,' I said after taking a deep breath and trying to keep my cool. "'It doesn't have to be this way. "'If I did something to hurt your feelings, I'm sor- then I'm sorry. "'I'm sorry.' But we can't we can't just end it like this. Not like this. Not after everything we've been through. I've been going through some really tough times. You have to understand. I have a lot of internal problems that I need to work out. But I can't do it without you. I can't I know this sounds silly and contrived and movie-like, but it's just the fucking truth. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. I'm just trying to be honest. Are you listening to me? I fucking need you. Does that sound crazy? Does that sound stupid? Like I'm this little needy, pathetic pest? Like this little fucking bug or something? It's the truth. I don't care if it sounds stupid or if you think I'm a loser. I'm telling you the truth. What else can I fucking do? And she responds with an ellipse. Look, it's really hard for me. You know, you hear that sound? That's me swallowing my pride. Look, okay, look, I know, I know I've been this real jerk to you sometimes, but you have to realize that it's not because I think any, it's not because I don't think highly of you, because you know that I fucking do. It's because of the problems I have with myself. Well, you're just gonna have to work them out with yourself. I'm not your mother and you can't expect, don't be that way, Jay. Don't be that, don't do that. Don't make things bad. It doesn't have to it doesn't have to end up like, look, I'm sorry Dave, but it does. You are crazy and you're driving me crazy. I still want to be your friend, but it can't be like this. Be like what? Like the way it's been. We fight all the time. All the time. You don't you me you do mean a lot to me, but I can't be in a relationship with you. Not like this. I just can't. Whatever then. Whatever. I feel like I own fucking general hospital or something. Just listen to how fucking fake and stupid we sound right now. That's the way you want it to be? Fine then. I hope you're fucking happy. I hung up the phone and turned off the ringer so she couldn't call back and then I rushed up to my room, slammed the door, and fell face down on the bed, hot tears streaming down my cheeks. It was too much. This was it. Everything I tried to do, everything, had blown up in my face like a stick of dynamite. I had tried so hard. I pressed my face into the pillow as hard as I could. like maybe if I pressed hard enough, I would find a trapdoor that would take me somewhere else, anywhere else but here in this life. My thoughts sped and banged down violent corners and smashed into dead ends. I began to think about Alice again. Where was she in all this rain? What did she do? What did she do in, or what did she do in all this rain? Was she still in New Jersey? She was where everything had gone wrong. She was the one I had really blown it with, the jagged rock upon which I had shattered all my chances of a good life, a real life, a life with something else besides rain and heartbreak. In all this darkness, it was as if she was the only source of light, the only thing that mattered, that could ever matter. I could see her in her wool cap and mittens, a white snowflake landing on the tip of her nose, her eyes smiling. If only I could talk to her now, just for a few moments, maybe. If only I could lay my head in her lap and she would stroke my hair and she'd whisper into my ear that it would be okay, Shh, it was gonna be alright after all. Damn it! I pounded my fist petulantly into the pillow, the only thing I could think to do, still weeping heavily, feeling all busted up and crazy inside. It seemed as if there was nothing I could do in this world, nothing at all. She was right. I was doomed to be a failure, a complete and utter failure. I was a zero, a less than zero, not even an integer, not even an exponent. I hammered my fist into the pillow over and over again, repeatedly trying to hold myself together, fighting against a feeling of complete and utter disintegration, dissemination, like I was about to float off into the ether, into nothingness, nihilistically fading into negative space. Why did life have to end up like this, all of our dreams ripped violently from our feeble hands, to be left standing with all that emptiness, just hollowed-out husks swaying in the wind? I had the best intentions in everything, in every endeavor I set out for, and always it fell apart right before my eyes, faded into the thin air, with nothing left to show for except fear, ha- fear and a handful of dust. That's a T.S. Eliot reference. I thought of all the great ones before me, the ones who suffered, the giants of time and art, their tragic and heroic stories stretching before me into the darkness of history. I thought of Dostoevsky. Always, when things got bad, the Big D was the first to come to mind. And here's a really funny aside. Uh, There was a uh, small little edition of The Pilot and the Panda that I think actually... um, I think it might have ended at this chapter um, and uh, my good pal Josh Carr put it together and uh, this was in the spring of 2000 and it was a little cool little booklet version and it was uh, it looked really nice and I, I gave it to, I think I, I, I he made it because I was going to hand it to some people at that 215 Fest, the first one, and I know that Dave Eggers got a copy uh, because he was like, wow, I really like this title. And I never heard from him since, but I liked that he liked the title. I thought that was cool. Um, and uh, Neil Pollock uh, got a copy. And Neil Pollock actually wrote about it on the McSweeney site, and he, he was sort of thanking people. Um, and he mentioned this book only as, and also thanks to the guy who gave me the copy of his manuscript. In which he referred to Dostoevsky as the Big D. Um, which uh, I think it was even more kind of snarky than that. But uh, the thing I liked was that meant he got to the end of it because this is on the last page. The Big D. I personally uh, have never referred to Dostoevsky as the Big D, although I have re- referred to the Brothers Karamazov as the Brothers K. As do you. <laughs> Um, anyway, so the, I always thought of, Do, of Dostoevsky, always when things got bad, the big D was the first to come to mind, we shall have to work out our, and this is a, a big D quote, we shall have to work out our future happiness somehow by suffering, was what he had said, pay for it somehow in fresh miseries, everything is purified by suffering, suffering! That's all it seemed to be, suffering and more suffering. This life is suffering, said the Buddha. Everywhere you looked, everywhere you turned, nothing but suffering. Where was the joy? How could we sing our ode to joy when there was none to speak of? Where was love? Where had everything gone? Where was the things that had once meant so much, uh, meant so very much to us? Had they... Had they taken it away? And if so, where did they put it? Misery and suffering, the insulted and the injured. Laying there in my bed, my head in my hands, the tears still streaming down my cheeks, I said to myself, I said to myself in all my dreary delirium that I would not allow myself to believe that all this world had to offer was suffering, that I would find joy and peace and love in this wretched, fading world, that I would find a way to smile and to make others smile. I told myself this as I lay there sweating in the youthful delusion of heartbreak. Feeling hungry and defeated and alone in the world, my mind a whirl and my judgment splintered into a disarray of irretrievable fragments. I told myself that I was going to be a saint that I would from that moment on hurt no one ever again, that I would give myself up to the world, travel in humble rags, throw myself to the hungry dogs and the sad, wanting faces, and let them do with me as they pleased. I would be humble and I would be pious. I would worship no man and I would worship no God, but I would instead worship all men and all gods. And I would make my way over the land and around the world doing the will of man and the will of. God and the, and to the best of my own small ability i sat up in bed tingling with cracked revelation and through my tear-strained te- tear-streaked eyes i could see through the foggy window that the sun was beginning to break through the clouds that huge rays of light, yellow life-giving sunlight were beginning to stream down into the city and i knew that there that though and and I knew, though there were no songbirds in the city, that somewhere else, somewhere not too far away, that the birds would indeed be singing. And thus ends the fifth chapter. Uh, and now as a little bonus, I will read the sixth chapter, which is only two pages long. i still, you know, to th- it's so far in the past now that I'd, I don't really remember what the what my structuring idea was with these like super short chapters but they I mean there are little self-contained things and then there's longer things Um, I don't know I kind of like it I wish more books had that sort of weird mini chapters and then you'll see uh the next chapter that I will read in the next episode I haven't figured out how I'm going to split it up because it's very long but it's called Preludium um and there is a uh that's sort of one of the, um, how do I call it, there's a, there's a number of like experimental sections. Preludium's not necessarily experimental, but it is um, a very long, uh, I guess you'd call it a flashback. Um, but it's also one of my favorite chapters, so I'll be excited to read it to you. Uh, anyway, here is chapter six. The days run on. What more can one do but sit back and watch them run? There they go, off they go, running along. You can't stop them. You can only watch. I tried to kill my time in a way that the days wouldn't end up running me over. I left them to their designs and they left me to mine. The days were getting hotter and hotter and I preferred to spend my quality time sitting in Rittenhouse Square, seated on a bench with a newspaper or a book or just my thoughts, watching everybody walk by and relaxing the best I could. If you got there early enough, you could find yourself a bench under foliage that provided ample enough shade, a bench which afforded you the perfect combination of shade and people-watching angles. I was good at finding those benches, and I got good enough at spending time there that I knew which benches to move to as the hot sun made its shifty way from morning to noon to afternoon. In this respect, I was a professional park resident. It was a nice place to be, and if you treated it right, it treated you right. All good parks will work under this precept. The park accepted everyone. The rich, the poor, the beautiful, the ugly, the sane, the totally bonkers. We all sat in the park together, and we were having a summer. And uh, just a quick, one more quick aside. Having a summer, uh, I remember a guy named Brian Hitch, I believe his name was. Uh, Really cool kid. If you were hanging out in Philly in the 90s, you knew him. I think I knew him because he lived with Dan Murphy. And he moved away, but I can't remember to where. I don't want to say, like, Pittsburgh or something. But I do remember seeing Brian Hitch uh, in the uh, park one day and asking him how he was doing. Or I, I think I asked him what he'd been up to, and he said that, he's like, oh, you know, I've been having a summer. And I always liked that term. And I haven't thought about it in a long time. So thanks, Pilot and the Panda and Brian, for reminding me. Now then where was I? Ah uh, yes, we were having a summer. When the heat rose to unbearable levels, I crossed over Walnut Street to Borders Books. Borders was air-conditioned, and there was comfortable chairs where I could read new books and new magazines and loiter to my heart's content. There was also a water fountain, which delivered its goods ice-cold. Once, on a particularly confused afternoon, I heard the in-store intercom system say, David, house local, David, house local... And I actually believe that this was a cue to the store security to come bust me because I was a house local, that is, a perpetual loiterer. Luckily, I escaped before anyone found me. I stole a glossy magazine, too, just to spite the bastards for trying. And, uh, as you are well aware, there is no more Borders books on Walnut Street across from Rittenhouse Square. But there was once. It didn't seem like there was much else to do. Too hot to stay in the apartment, too hot to walk around too much. And I didn't like taking the train to New Jersey anymore because I didn't like thinking about Judy or the past or anyone else. Judy was slowly but surely fading from my mind and thoughts of Alice were slowly but fucking surely returning. There she was once again, her black hair hanging down to her chin, her eyes and manners and voice invisible, chattering in the back of my mind. Alice, the invisible camera I performed in front of, that made me think I wasn't always alone. Once again, she was joining me in my life, in my world, the world that happened when I walked alone at night and watched the dark summer skies as thin clouds passed with me as I sat by the nighttime river and heard the lonely sounds of boats as they drifted down the black waters, and the light played its beguiling magic and the lapping waters gurgled against the rotting piers. I held her invisible hand and explained everything I saw and felt in this new world I was falling further and further into. And the further I fell into this world, the further I fell from things like maintaining friendships, worrying about my future, giving off any tangible semblance of being normal. Alice was holding me together and breaking me apart at the same time. Like the fate of poor Prometheus, my innards were eaten out, restored the next day, only to be eaten again. And that wraps it up, and uh, thanks again, and uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, go to the iTunes site and vote and review this and say it sucks or you love it, and also share it with your friends. Put it on a mixtape, enjoy it, and uh, I'll see you next time.